I just love cooking and I give me so much pleasure when somebody eat my food and really happy you know and this give me the great happiness in my life I just want to make people happy you know somehow so this is only way can make somebody happy give them best fit This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep For many in the industry the dream of owning a restaurant is a big driving force inspired by great mentors uplifting dining experiences the glamour and rewards of having your own business can hide the energy commitment and slim margins that represent the harsh realities how do you strike that balance between viability and creativity ashraf saleh is the owner and chef of koya in sydney's north ashraf how are you good thanks how are you Good. You've uh, worked all over the globe in all sorts of um, venues, um, but you rolled the dice with your own venue. How different was that compared to working for other people? It's very different because when you work for other people, you just work and get paid. But when you work for yourself, there's a lot of different dice to play. It's, um, I didn't realize that. I was thinking that people I work for them they're making lots of money but when I open the restaurant then I realize it's completely different game ball like a mirror has a two side I mean the darker side because end of the day I have to deal with every single sources delivery driver to the tax department to the staff everywhere so it's really really hard but it's learning how different has it been for you uh, creatively has it has it been a really good outlet for you having your own business compared to working in other venues yes it's freedom and i can be creative i can do things i want to do it and they give me lots of like a mentally uh, inspire me so i can do like a i do testing menu in koya and this is only things i do and the people loves it and then i'm busy because word of mouth people keep coming back they bring their family each family to other family so doing your own business really hard but is rewarded well, let's go back to way before uh, you had koya um what what sort of role did food play for you when you were a kid in your family Okay. So I grew up in Middle East and then Middle East the women always cook and men work. So I always stay with my mom and I see they cooking this whole day and smell the flavors, the things we eat. It's normally it's not like you guys eat in Australia. It's braising meat and lots of vegetable things, the beans and lentils kind of things because Middle Eastern climate doesn't grow any fresh vegetables so we have to get from overseas i'm talking about the early 70s and 80s but i i create lots of my mom's flavor to the my cooking and i make it my own way modern way the contemporary way and i love those uh, old fashioned cooking technique take us back there is there a couple of dishes from your youth that you remember that you've um given a new life to that you can tell us about there's a we eat lots of meat so like a off cut meat like a beef cheeks and brisket and short ribs kind of things it's cheaper cut of meat and there's always lots of flavor and we has a one dish called capsa this rice uh, cooked with uh, meat cooked with rice and this similar to indian uh, biryani but there's a different flavor we use black limes and black cardamoms lots of tomato 
spectacular flavor and this meat get braised for many many hours and they put rice on it and cook through on it and the huge big dish really really exciting this dish i always remember to my childhood and this things i always want to cook what lured you to a career as a chef um this is was my dream to become a chef i started working in the sheraton hotel in saudi arabia and then i moved to gold coast and i always want to work with the independently like i am my own boss because i'm chef told i learn everything from myself i didn't work with any name brand or famous chefs i always stay in the low key and i creative so something i want to do it i just try over and over to get it right and this way i will always work with the the chef the creative but not famous and i love to work with them and then i have a lots of farmer they create like vegetables and i go to the farmer market and i like all this colorful stuff i has a menus every single dish is a di- different colors and just like a bright brand like a psychedelic take us back to saudi arabia what sort of food were you were you cooking then um i normally don't cook much day because i work in the sheraton hotel but my parents is to cook it's similar to lebanese food but this, this some of them different because arabs adopt lots of indian culture and they has a rice they has a lots of bread lots of dips and we do has a one of the famous breakfast is called full madamas like a fever beans cooked for maybe 40 hours with the chickpeas and there's a like a big flat bread we used to eat them in the breakfast lunch time always rice is the main grind day so big rice dish with the meat chicken and and the lamb goats also some meat but not like a is a fine food or contemporary food and then late 70s we start to see different things like american franchise moved to saudi arabia the pizza and similar to something in we have in here kfc we call busta chicken and then the similar kfc but we serve with the garlic dip in the 80s you uh, embarked on a journey through uh, europe before uh, landing in australia T- tell us about that period of time and, and what you experienced so i quite a long time i worked with the one of the royal family in saudi arabia prince mamdou bin saud bin abdulaziz and i used to work as his companion they called morafik so we went to paris london so many different places then i traveled myself and i tried to find a job to work there i did work so many places in sweden sweden was my favorite place but food was completely out of my brain the herring i never eat before the lots of baked potatoes lots of salmon and things so i never eat before those kind of food because middle east fish is the less less popular dish and then i start to learn eating the say herring anchovies the tiny prawns and all sorts of things then i moved to london london it was a little bit better because climate i don't really like it because it's really cold and then i back to paris for a little while i like paris so much then moved to morocco for a little while then i come to saudi arabia i come saudi arabia and then i moved to sweden again and then when i back to sweden to australia i was I didn't realize in uh, sydney was 48 degree and i wearing like a winter clothes because in december is minus 12 in stockholm 
and Sydney was 40 degree. And then everybody look at me in the airport, say, what's wrong with this guy? Look like a... <laughs> and we're taking my layer out one by one. And then I just try to adjust how to live in Sydney, no? Did those experiences in uh, Paris and London and, and in Sweden and Morocco, did they have an influence on the way you cook? Of course. Every place that I live, I get something out of it. So they, I wrote a cookbook, say, 2019, and the French Middle Eastern cookbooks. So I get lots of French, like a French technique with the Middle Eastern spice. Because, see, I met people from Ghana, Nigeria, Tunis, Algeria, Morocco, Egypt. So they has a lots of people has a lots of different things. But it's just similar to the Arabic food, lots of common items. And then I adopt my own way to cook the dishes, and people love it. Tell us a little about the French Middle Eastern combination that you've been doing. Is there some dishes that you could tell us about that sort of um, epitomize that sort of um, that way of cooking? So, example, now I change it. We have like a creme brulee used to make before. So I used to use Turkish light creme brulee. And then now I use like a six-course testing menu as a bussois of cauliflower with mustard oil. The bussois is called potato and leek soup, but I change it to my way. So I make it warm and I don't use any butter or cream, but it's a smooth and silky because I use coconut milk on it. And then again, I have a baramandi, but again, use the hollandaise sauce at the moment with the samak, puff brain, then wagyu beef. So I just change everything. Like I try to combine French and Arabic together. And that works because the French got a technique and lots of Arabic spices and, and things got a really nice flavor. And if I can put it together, just it's great. People love it. What led to the move to Australia? And were you surprised about the the culinary landscape when you arrived? When I came in, in Australia, uh, early 80s, I was landed to the Gold Coast. I really like the climate because similar to the Middle East, hot. And the people is really nice because the country I grew up, this is no freedom. I never see women lie down at the beach in my life. So, and when I come in, I see something like a more a freedom, like we don't have a, like my parents has a two rooms, one for female, one for male. So we can't be a male and female mixed together. We eat separately. So when you come in Australia, I find them that maybe the right place to live there because I have a freedom. Anyway, after a few years later, I met my wife and we've been married for over 20 years. And she's from Hong Kong and I'm from Middle East. And we have a really milkshake family. I have a two teenage boys and both of them, they grow up in Sydney. They're born in Royal North Shore Hospital. So I quite really enjoyed uh, living in Australia and Australian food culture is really multiple migrant backgrounds. So it's really lots of flavor, lots of technique, lots of fresh produce. You find everything from truffle to the quinoa, everything grow in Australia. So it's really great because migrant bring all the flavor to the Australia, all the vegetables, seed, nuts and everything. During your time in Sydney, you... Uh 
Well, the head chef of some pretty incredible restaurants, the Criterion Cadmus. Uh, tell us about sort of that period of time. What were the real highlights for you? And there was like a, because this owner was Lebanese and is a, very good for me to work with them because they understand the flavor, the spice and things. But it's like a more like a couple of them more like a tourist attraction place. Like a, I work in the Darling Harbor. It's more like a seafood platter and teapot steak and big size dishes. But people was nice. We met lots of um, American tourists. They don't care about the food. Just as long as you name them seafood platter, they will order it. As long as the on steak 500 grams, they will order it. But this is like a tourist kind of restaurant. But Khadmas was good, more like a, a Arabic style meza kind of restaurant. Like we do lots of mezes, plus some of the modern Arabic dish. And it's fun to work with those dishes because the way we cook in Middle East and we cook in Sydney is completely different. I don't know why, because maybe climate, maybe the ingredient, or maybe there's hands. Somebody's hands, they've got a little touch of love. And I still love it, they're cooking Arabic food because it's lots of flavor there if I cook nicely. You've relocated to the lower North Shore and you've spent a lot of your career on the north north side of, of Sydney, but down in McMahon's Point. Um, what, what was it like cooking in that area? Well, that was really fun because I used to work this small pub, but everybody used to hang around there. And this pubs, uh, uh, when I started working there, it was like a hamburgers and fries and things. But I changed it. And I started doing the kind of degustation thingy and like a, a grange beef, good quality food. And then all the um, Pacific published and this all the women weekly magazine people used to hang around there, and the all the Channel Nine, Brian Hennison, Gerald Stone from the Channel Nine, all the high-profile people used to live there, and they used to come in and they used to start to know me very well, and they don't even ask. Whatever I cook, they eat, and they really enjoy. It's really fun to meet fantastic people there, and one of the highlight, Mister Ray Martin from the Channel Nine, he and his wife Diana used to come in and eat my duck pasta and sort of things like it. I can cook really nice duck and they used to love it. And the gentleman called Brian Hennison, he's passed away. And he used to love my food. They all coming in. Mike Gibson from the Pacific Public and his brother Chris Gibson, they always love my food. So I really enjoy working the small pub and the local oriented and it's really nice people there. Tell us about the creation of, of Koya. Koya, then end of the 2015, we find this place in Croma, Northern Beaches. It's really awkward locations. And then I thought, should I open or not? Then I realized I open. So normally three things you need to open the business. You have to be rich, famous, and great location. But I don't have none of those. But I have a very good food. A reasonable service and affordable price. And people coming in and they go home, they talk to their friends and they keep coming back. Because I, I'm not the big guy. I'm really small, small little guy. So nobody knows me. And Had It Passed was 2017. We opened in November. It's really hard because I don't even know the show feeders, how much going to cost. And electrician, how much going to cost. And go over budget. So I go broke even before I opened the restaurant. Anyway, we, and anyway, we juggle and we have to borrow more money and then we open it. 
And then 2018, it started picking up a little bit, but 2019 was really good. 2018 was the, like a almost dead. We're looking for sell the house, move it somewhere. We don't know what to do, selling all the jewelry, whatever we have. But 2019, we just uh, flipped the dish dice and just we made it. What was the difference in 2019, do you think, that, that helped the viability of the restaurant? Because Northern Beaches LGA is huge, big, and people start to talk, you've been quiet yet? You've been quiet yet? So they keep coming back, and they really enjoying. So we started with the a la carte, and then slowly, slowly go testing menu. We started the BYO. We don't do any more BYO. We started with the wine pouring, the wine fly. So we're just improving bit by bit. And people really coming here to experience, not for the, you know, like a eat and go home. What is the experience like there that you're, that you're giving? Okay, this is like a, something in between top-notch fine dining and very nice local restaurant. So we provide a kind of a my way fine dining. So we create the dishes and we do like, kind of like a pouring sauce on the plate, serving something very unique. It's just a whole lot. But simple, elegant, and modern. What's a, what's a real star dish on the menu that sort of talks of where you are at the moment with your cooking? Okay. We have one dish I remember from my knowledge because last year we calculate it's a king prawns with piccolo pepper puree, a rosemary emotion with the stomach. This dish I sell 36000 Wow. Since we opened it. But I never took it off this dish from the menu because when I open the restaurant after two weeks later, I get bored. I want to take it out. And people get really pissed off. Say, oh, we just come here to eat prawns. So, and then there's, and they, I don't know the, how they call them a signature dish or not. Since then, we never took this one out. One of the key features of your cooking is the um, sourcing of quality ingredients. Um, tell us about some of the producers that you work with. Okay. I do lots of farmer market. So, um, the carriage work, North Sydney market. And there used to be forest market, Frenchies Forest, they closed. So now it's a beaches market in Narrabeen. I go to the market. Sometime I drive to their farm because the people, they come to the market, they they grow lots of vegetables and things. They're very unique. Like a, people don't know how to cook uh, golden beetroot or halom carrot, yellow color carrot and things. Lots of vegetables look ugly, but it's, for me it's beautiful. I create them nice dishes, and I use them all. And working with the farmer is really great things because it costs me less to buy. If I get from the suppliers, they will charge me like $8 a bunch. But I go to the farmer market, they say, okay, this one, nobody buying it. You can have it for 10 bucks." <laughs> so it's like a good saving. But again, I know what I want, I get it. But working with the locals and farmers is great relationship. Because I'm small business, so sometimes I can't buy lots. So they can't negotiate with the price. And we're far away from everyone, though. In 2019, Koya got a lot of attraction from the media and it was a very, very popular restaurant and you'd finally found a viable model. But what sort of impact has the last couple of years had on what you do there? Um, this uh, We're going very well until COVID. 
come to our door. So first COVID was not bad because people was really crazy to save this restaurant. So they don't want to close and go. They order takeaway. Um, 2019 or 2020, it was Mother's Day, one of the busiest takeaway I ever make in my life. Uh, because Mother's Day. So we started 11 o'clock and finished at 8 o'clock. Just pick up food, three course, four course. We make a set menu. Oven, they can eat them anytime they like. There was most busiest day, but then just before Christmas, there was Northern Beaches LG lockdown, and there was like a three months. Um, Saturday night, Miss Clary, um, she announced that we're gonna lock down from Saturday night. So we have a lots of um, booking, and we prep the food, and we have to throw all the food in the bin, and then we have to refund the money. The people they. Prepay, and some of them really happy to change their booking to the later on date, and some not really happy because they think we just <laughs> marking around with them, you know. But but uh, we survived this one. Then we come to the last lockdown at the moment. This is way too long, four months, and people start getting sick of a takeaway or home delivery ordering. They start to cooking home more, and everything price go double up. So it's just like a hanging day. We still have a lots of regulars, lots of good people around, and we survive. As summer has been going on, has it? Have you been getting been getting more optimistic about what the year holds for you and the restaurant? Of course, I I'm very like a kind of guy who don't like to what called failure. I think it's a lesson to learn and move on, because. This is life because we're going to deal with it, whatever coming in. Uh, I'm very strong. I have a wife who she support me all the way because um, since we opened the restaurant to marriage, to growing and uh, raising the kids, she's always there for me. She does all the paperwork in front of the house. And she's a ultimate marathon runner, so mentally really strong. I got really good support from the, my family. What do you love about what you do? I just love cooking and I give me so much pleasure when somebody eats my food and really happy, you know, and this gives me the great happiness in my life. You just want to make people happy, you know, somehow. So this is the only way I can make somebody happy, give them best feed. Well, we're now in February and there's the whole year ahead of us. What, what are you looking forward to as the year progresses? Looking forward to, um, in March, I'm finishing my second cookbook. And then, uh, restaurant-wise, yeah. I'm looking forward to people keep inquiring then, um, try to make a bookings, but they're all stuck. What's going to happen if the government going to be reopened whole Sydney or we're going to be locked down? So just confused at the moment. We're confused at the moment, but hopefully everything going to go well and we're going to be rise again. Just hope. Well, Ashraf, I've got no doubt that you'll uh, come out on the other side really well. Um We've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear a bit of your story. Uh, please keep in touch. Good luck, and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm grateful to have you, me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast.
or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.